Hey there, thanks for joining me this week. My name is Tim, and just like you, I'm on a journey to discover more about God's love, his creation, and my identity. I don't have all the answers, but I've got a lot of questions, and I've got a feeling that you do too. So, let's explore together. Welcome to The Sanctum. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sanctum Podcast. You could be listening to anyone else, Stuart Greaves, Leif Hetland, or that new Raekwon. Although I'm a little disappointed that it's only three tracks, but hey, can't get everything you want. But you are listening to me and I appreciate you. First and foremost, happy Black History Month. (laughs) In this episode of Sanctum Podcast, I want to explore ancient Christianity in Africa. I want to do a couple of special episodes on the subject because this month is Black History Month. And if you are one of my listeners who didn't know already, surprise, I'm black. My spirituality and ethnicity is important to me. The two don't have to be opposed. In fact, Christianity gives room for a full expression of both. One of my motivations for doing this episode is because I have a number of friends that I grew up with in the church who really question Christianity in light of the African-American experience. There seems to be a lot of people who wrongly assume that Christianity wasn't introduced to the continent of Africa until the slave trade. So they'll say things like Christianity is a slave religion, it's a white man's religion, so on and so forth. And I get it. Most of us who are black Americans wouldn't be Christians if we weren't raised in a Christian home. And a majority of the early African-American converts were introduced to Christianity while slaves. Well, if you ever wrestled with this like I have, I hope this episode would give you a new historic and spiritual perspective. First thing that we should do is realize that Africa is not a country, it is a whole continent. And it's huge. Africa has 54 countries, about 3,000 ethnic groups, and hundreds of languages. The reason that's important to this conversation is that the majority of colonial slave trade happened on the west coast of Africa beginning in the 1600s. However, Christianity has been spreading to northern and eastern parts of Africa as early as the first century, which is 1,600 years before the transatlantic slave trade. But even before that, Judaism was already introduced. And let's take a look to see what the Bible has to say. The Jews interacted with Egypt as early as Genesis, the 12th chapter, when Abraham goes to Egypt to escape a famine. In addition, the entire Jewish people find shelter in Egypt, which unfortunately led to their captivity. Of course, most of us know the story of Moses and how God used him to free his people. Even since then, Israel has had a complicated relationship with the African continent. At times, they are adversarial, and at other times, they are friendly. But how did the Jews get to Eastern Africa? Well, there's a brief but popular story in the Bible that helps explain this. It's found in the first book of Kings, chapter 10. It's the story of the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba heard about King Solomon's wealth and wisdom and came to test if this was true. There wasn't a question too hard for Solomon to answer, and the Queen was so impressed with Solomon that she gave him a lot of wealth, gifts, spices, wood, in which Solomon used to build the temple of the Lord. Now, before the queen went back home, the Ethiopian version of events that are found in the, excuse me if I get this wrong, but Kibra Nagast, I think that's how you say it. Um, The Ethiopian tradition is that her name was Queen Makeda. She became pregnant 
on her way back home, this is a result of her being with Solomon, and gave birth to a son. This son's name was Menelik I. He will grow up to be a king and found the Salamic dynasty that ruled the Horn of Africa and parts of the Arabian Peninsula. When you look at Ethiopian history, they trace their royal lines to King Menelik and subsequently King Solomon. Now, trade was extremely important to the spread of Christianity into Africa. Evidence of Israel's interaction with African nations are found in the 19th chapter of the Book of Kings. Ethiopia, in particular, appeared to be a very powerful and wealthy nation, as Job 28.19 points out. And if the writer of Job was able to depict Ethiopians well, then it's reasonable to conclude that Israel had traded with these nations in modern-day Ethiopia and Eritrea. In addition, there was trade in North Africa as well. The Phoenicians were a seafaring civilization whose kingdom was centered biblically in Sidon, which is north of Israel. The Phoenicians, or the Sidonians of the Bible, traded throughout the Mediterranean, founding important coastal cities such as Carthage in modern-day Tunisia, northern Africa. Carthage was one of Rome's greatest competitors during the Punic Wars and nearly conquered the Roman state. Here's an interesting fact for you. Uh, you may have heard of Hannibal the Conqueror, who crossed the Alps using elephants. Well, he was a Carthaginian general who occupied a large portion of Italy during the Punic Wars. His surname, Baal, is derived from the god Baal, B-A-A-L, who is written about in the Old Testament. So, Hanny Baal. I won't get too sidetracked, but if you want to get lost in a great history rabbit hole, look up the relationship between King Ahab, Jezebel, Sidon, and Carthage. It's really all related, and it's super interesting. But like I said, I'm not trying to get sidetracked, because there's a lot to the story here. Uh, the reason I bring up Carthage and Sidon is because the northern kingdom of Israel openly traded with the Sidonians, who traded the entire Mediterranean Ocean, which stretched from Israel Spain, and Morocco. So let's get into the spiritual aspects of this and see when Christianity first arrived on the continent. So there's a prophecy. So let's start here. There's a prophecy in Psalm 68, 31-32 that goes like this. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. Here's another one from Zephaniah 3.10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. So here in the scriptures, the writer of these scriptures recognized that there are a part of the Hebrew people called the Diaspora located in Ethiopia, which is south of Egypt. So the writer of these books already knew that those people existed, thus Judaism was already introduced to the African continent. In these verses, God is saying that there will be believers who come out of these two nations who will worship God. And in fact, all nations will worship Christ. Philippians 2, uh, verses 10 through 11 says that every knee shall bow and every mouth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The prophecy began to be fulfilled in the birth of the church, all the way in Acts chapter 2. So, in Acts chapter 2, just to summarize it for you. There's 120 believers gathered who watched and prayed in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
As they prayed, something like a mighty rushing wind entered into the room, and tongues of flames landed on the heads of the believers. Then they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. When they had spilled out into the streets, people thought that they were drunk. The miracle was that everyone gathered around the building began to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. This is called the gift of tongues. I'll do a whole nother episode later on, but this is the initial gift of tongues that we see in the Bible. All who were there in the city marveled, saying, how is it that we hear each in our own language? Isn't it amazing that the first miracle that the church body does is speak the gospel in a way that all people can understand? In verse 10, among those nationalities present were from Egypt, Libya, and Cyrene. Now wait, did you hear that? Egypt, Northern Africa, Libya, Northern Africa, and Cyrene, which is a city also in Northern Africa. Now, let's all turn our Bibles to the Book of Maps. <laughs> I'm joking. There's no Book of Maps. Just, you can't go to the Book of Maps in the, the back of your Bible. Hopefully, you have a bunch of maps there. You can actually look all that up yourself. These are all the nations in Northern Africa, is my point. The Bible goes on to say that 3,000 people came to the faith that day, and guess what? Those people took their newfound faith back home with them. That means those believers baptized on that day who chose to believe that day would go home to Egypt, Libya, and Cyrene and tell their families the good news. All right. Now, remember when I showed you that there are Jews, there was a Jewish presence in Ethiopia uh, through the Queen of Sheba? Well, let's bring that back full circle. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, a deacon of the church, is told by God to go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip did as he was told, and on the way, guess who he ran into? An Ethiopian Jew. Here's what the book says, picking up on verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. This is the prophecy of Psalms 68 and Zephaniah 3 being, beginning to be fulfilled. Philip heard the man reading the book of Isaiah and offered to explain what he was reading. The man listened to Philip and was baptized immediately. St. Irenaeus, a 2nd century theologian, said that a man named Simon Bacchus, who was also Ethiopian, went back to his home country and evangelized his people. Now, is Simon Bacchus and the Ethiopian eunuch the same person? Well, we really don't know. It's a possibility, or Simon Bacchus could be a totally separate person. But my point is there that the, there is biblical evidence that takes Christ to the Africans in the book of Acts. We see this truth in the biblical accounts uh, and through the writings of the church fathers. Here's one more for you. While the church is growing, the apostles mentor local ministers to take care of the faithful as they went to the nations. One of the earliest and most popular um, or most important churches in the young faith is the church at Antioch. In fact, the church of Antioch still exists today and oversees millions of Orthodox Christians all of the world. All of the world. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, 
there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called, and now this word may be offensive to some of you, but it's not the same racist context. It's Simeon, who was called Niger, which it's with one G, or the black man. Okay. Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here we see two men, Simeon, who is obviously a black dude, and Lucius of Cyrene. Remember, like I said earlier, Cyrene is in modern-day Libya. Here we see two African descendants among the early church fathers of one of the most influential churches in history. You know, like I said at the opening of the show, it really does sadden me that some of my friends have lost their faith because they think Christianity is a quote-unquote white man's religion. But it goes to show how the enemy will use anything to shroud our hearts from the proclaimed goodness of God. The gospel message is this. God became all flesh, man, woman, black, white, servant, and free, so that through his death and resurrection, he could free us all from everything that separates us from the Father. As a black American, subjects like these are important to me, and it's good to know that they are also important to my Father. I'll leave you with this verse from Revelations chapter 7, verse 9-10. through 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, Hey, I'm going to reflect on this subject all month. So if you like this topic, join me next time as I take on what it means to be a black Christian through the lens of the ancient church. Until then, be blessed. I will see you next time. Look for the show notes on the website, sanctumpodcast.com. God bless you. Oh, and one more thing. I almost forgot. So last time I did an episode called the cloud of witnesses. And I totally goofed. I totally forgot to put the episode on the website. So if you're the type of person that listens to the podcast through the website, my bad. I'm going to go back and update it. So the cloud of witness episode, episode 14 is actually updated on the website. I think my mom's like the only person that actually listens through the website. Everyone else does like Apple or Spotify, which is totally cool. But I'm at least going to do this for my mom. So she can listen to my podcast because she enjoys them. So thanks, mom. Appreciate the support. All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the message and were encouraged to believe a little more. Feel free to check out my website, sanctumpodcast.com, for show notes, resources, and reviews. I also love hearing from listeners. So if you have a question or an idea for a show, don't forget to say hey. I'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Sanctum Podcast. Until then, be blessed.